0: Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Well, we've just come through yet another election year, and in this message I'm Uh, which is part three of our series, Fully Alive. I'm trying to kind of cast a vision for how we as followers of Christ can uh, be a part of healing and reconciliation and seeing good things happen in a world that is so divided politically and religiously. This message is entitled, People of Presence. Just a note, this starts off with a song, so the first part of this that ties into it is a song called World Inside My Mind. Thanks for listening.
1: on the issues of the day got an argument to argue if you stand in my way i got me this feeling that i'm gonna make you feel i got my accusations loaded and resolved me the steam Facts and figures and my strongest emotions To stand up for the truth with a zealot's devotion Gonna preach to the choir, gonna rile up the herd I got this part of feeling that's about to get stirred and plowshares into swords Gonna fight me a battle with razor-sharp words It's artificial living but it just feels so right Like the needle and the vein wick the junkies' appetite Satisfied With pride and self-importance And malice on the side Gotta keep on talking Talking myself blind To the world outside my window For the world inside my mind
0: give you a little bit of the behind the music on that one. Um, I wrote that song about a year ago, right out about a year ago, uh, and released it on my last album a couple months back. And that song was really some reflection over my own life and things that had I'd experienced over the previous couple of years. Uh, I think it was probably back in the end of 2013 that I began to realize that I was continually having conversations with folks inside the church and outside the church that they had a lot of questions about the meaning of life and Jesus and heaven and hell and how this whole thing is going to end or how it started. And I was having these conversations just on an ongoing basis with people and they seemed to be very helpful to folks And they were actually helpful to me at the same time. So I had this brilliant idea that I would try to open up this conversation on theology and spirituality and faith. Uh, I would try to open it up to a lot more people. And so I decided to move the conversation to Facebook. (laughs) You know where this is going. (laughs) I thought, how cool would it be if we could discuss the things that really matter and have a little dialogue back and forth with people? You know, uh, get some perspectives on on different ideas. I mean, we could we could think of what we could learn from one another. <laughs> Silly me! What I discovered very quickly, uh, and this this was probably over about six months. I discovered very quickly. That almost every topic that I posted and I tried to put some thoughts on got overtaken by trolls, and accusers, and you know just within a matter of just hours. And some of these topics they they went on like hundreds of comments, and I had never been called the things that I was called by other people before on my Facebook page, mind you. I mean, I had people say. Horrendous things about me. It's as if, you know, when you're typing behind a keyboard and you don't have to look somebody in the eye, you can just be the meanest person. It's like the technology empowers like the worst parts of our personalities and stuff. And so rather than having a constructive dialogue on theology, it just became this forum for accusations and defensiveness. And I remember just kind of my emotional state at that time. I was kind of feeling anxious and depressed. And, and instead of having insightful discussions, I was always feeling like I've got to defend myself. And, and, and now I'm preaching to the choir or, or making people angry. And, and just kind of going back and forth on all these things. And, but then I also realized something. You know, uh, Rene Descartes, the French philosopher back in 1600 said, I think, therefore I am. But I look around at social media and cable news, and I really think it's more like, I feel, therefore I am. Or not, I feel, therefore I am. I express my feelings, therefore I am. There is something just utterly addictive about sharing our opinion. On social media, I don't know what it is about social media because it's not as addictive to just share your opinion with your friends. But there's something about publicly proclaiming this is what I feel, and I was starting to get in the clutches of addiction. There, <laughs> I need to come to celebrate recovery. Um, it because it, it makes you feel alive, but it's an artificial life. There's something about pride. Even if, even if what you're saying is true and right, and and sometimes the motives that get in there, it it, it makes you feel alive. It, but it's it's an artificial life. It's like an addiction because it just wants more and more. And what I began to see is that I was getting so focused on ideas, and you know, trying to argue for ideas and defend ideas and accuse people who had different ideas, that I was actually ignoring the world outside my window for the world inside my mind. We have this tendency, particularly just, just in the world that we live in now, we have a tendency to demonize people based on their ideology or their ideas about politics, religion, God. We, we're we so quick to take a person created in god 's image and reduce them to a stereotype based on an idea that they have, and we see nothing beyond that i don 't know if you realize this, but we had a presidential election this this week um, and and We had our little election communion service, election day communion on uh, Tuesday night, which by the way, we won't do this again for another four years, but y'all got to come out. We didn't have that many people out here, but it is a powerful service uh, for everyone who attended. And I think, uh, you know, so put it on your calendar four years down the road. Um, And we just came together to just affirm our unity that's based not on political ideology, but on Jesus Christ. Because we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I pledge allegiance to Jesus, not the flag of the United States of America. You I mean Jesus is my king? I mean, I happen to be an American citizen, I've got dual citizenship, but my primary allegiance is to King Jesus. And we came to express our unity in Christ and that we are, we are members of God's kingdom. And we are here to celebrate that no matter who happens to be the president of the United States. And when we were having our service that night, it appeared like Hillary Clinton was going to be the thing. And then I uh, found out a few hours later that it was Donald Trump. But I remember at the end of our election day communion service that night when we were closing things up, I was like, yeah, now maybe we can get back to being a little bit more respectful of one another and a little bit you know, more civil. But in the few days since the election, it does not appear that we have learned to do that. I, I remember I watched a little clip from uh, Stephen Colbert commenting on this election. And, you know, he just made the... He said, you know, we, we we got accustomed to the poison of this election. And we ingested it. And it's harmed us. You think you can go down the road of demonizing people, making them into monsters. Uh, and, and And that it won't scar you. And you can just... Change your ways, but you know it—it it, it scars you, and it, it seems like our, our culture has gotten to a place where we're just not seeing each other as human beings. We're not; nobody's listening. I'm going to make a statement here, but understand, I'm very apolitical. I got no dog in this fight. Um, it seems because of the WikiLeaks stuff that came out, it seems that Bernie Sanders, um probably should have been the democratic nominee and if you look at the people that supported bernie sanders that came out in mass support and almost got him to be the the nominee they were a lot of people who felt disenfranchised they felt marginalized they felt like they didn't have a voice and then when you go to the other end of the political spectrum donald trump how did he get elected by a whole lot of people in this country who felt marginalized and felt like they didn't have a voice But what do we see right now? We see a whole lot of people who feel like they haven't been heard shouting past one another. Everybody is going, ah, and closing their ears and shouting, nobody, for all the people that feel like they haven't been heard, nobody seems to be listening. You notice that? Anybody hear me? (laughs) So I want to... I want to deal with a little bit of what is our response as followers of Jesus in this world today. What is what is God calling us into? I put a quote in your um, outline there. This is Eugene Peterson from his book, The Contemplative Pastor. He says, "Jesus is the way as well as the truth." The way the gospel is conveyed is as much a part of the kingdom as the truth presented. Why are pastors experts on truth and dropouts on the way? Ouch. What, what, is, what is Peterson getting at? He's getting that at the, the fact that pastors oftentimes are not the people you want to play in Bible trivia. Pastors spend their time studying theology, may have degrees and letters behind their name. We know a lot about the truth contained in the Bible. And yet, for all the knowledge we have sometimes, sometimes we get F's when it comes to actually living out the ways of Jesus. When I look at the country today, uh, you've got kind of two main uh, Expressions that dominate the religious landscape of Christianity in America. On the Protestant, liberal, mainline side, the, the emphasis is often on, you know, uh, taking care of the poor, mercy, compassion. And then if you go to the other side of the conservative uh, evangelical side, the emphasis is often on uh, morality and the cross being a means to, to get us to heaven when we die. But one thing that I think that conservative and liberal Christians alike seem to miss in mass in this country is one of the most central ideas communicated in the Gospels, which is that of the Incarnation. And today, I think as as Christ followers in this country, in a world that is polarized, uh, people that are uh, demonizing one another, shutting their ears up, (laughs) we can learn a lot from the incarnation of Christ that we can incorporate in our ways as Christ's followers. Have you ever thought about this before? Why did Jesus why did he come into the world the way that he did? I mean God is in heaven, he's looking down on earth, his creation, and he sees creation mired in sin, violence, destructiveness, It needs to be rescued. Why did God choose to rescue the world the way that he did? You ever think about that, or is this just the thoughts that pastors have? I thought about it. I mean, why didn't God just put a a big neon sign in the heavens that said repent or something like that? Why? I I think if we were in charge of this, you know, if, if we were God, I think we'd do it like Steven Spielberg style, right, you know? you get on a mountain, and we'd have smoke and fire and special effects, and I am God, follow me. You know, I mean, we, we would do it like that, right? We would do it impressive. There it, it would be, it would make a big splash. It would be huge. I mean, even the fact that Jesus was born a baby, I mean, why didn't he just come? I mean, it would have been perfectly cool if he just showed up like a full-grown man. Told us what to do. Do you realize, think about this for a minute. There are different estimates on how long Jesus was on planet Earth, but let's just go with the standard idea that Jesus was 30 years old when he went into ministry, and he was in ministry for, 30, uh, for three years before he got crucified. That means for 30 years, 90% of Jesus' time on Earth, he was just being a regular dude. Doesn't that seem odd to you? Doesn't that seem like a waste of time? we got a world to save Jesus. Where's the urgency? <laughs> Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. He had to have his diapers changed. Had to learn how to speak. Grew up the son of a carpenter. Probably went on the job with his father. Went through puberty Jesus' voice changed. I mean went through everything that we face as human beings. Hebrews says that he's faced it all except without sin. He's got sympathy on us because he can empathize with us because I know what it's like to be a human. Thirty years before Jesus ever healed a person. Thirty years before Jesus ever uh, delivered a sermon. Before he ever showed up at a wedding and turned water into wine, before he ever fed the five thousand. What does that say? I mean, I, last week and the last couple of weeks, I talked about how, you know, oftentimes we, we we think in very pragmatic, practical terms. What is the practical aspect of I mean, it's just an utter waste of time if you're gonna save the world that way? Unless you realize that before there ever was a creation, before there ever was a you and me, God existed in divine community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from eternity. God is relational at his core. And so when we realize that God exists in this divine community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before there ever was us, and that we are the byproduct of that loving, giving, receiving, divine dance that we've called it, (laughs) of the Trinity, then it makes perfect sense that Jesus would come into our world and waste his time just being a human being. I love the way uh, Peterson puts it in the message, uh, uh, John one fourteen. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out. What does the incarnation say about God? It says that God values relationship. God loves us, not from a distance, but He loves us by stepping into our world. Entering into our world. I mean, think of the people in your life that, that love you that, you, that have changed your life. It usually has something to do with the fact that they've actually entered into your world. Now, maybe they had to. Maybe they were your parents. <laughs> but the people that actually have an impact on our life, it, it is from stepping into our world. I've, I've developed a bit of a discipline You know, I call this a spiritual discipline. The the last few years, I try to make space in my life every week to hang out with people that don't believe what I believe about God or politics or anything else. I call it a discipline because, honestly, I don't like doing it. We like hanging around with people who are like us, don't we? Really. It's a lot easier to hang out with people who have the same ideas about God, who have the same interest in life that's easy, everybody can do that it's a lot harder to hang out with people that are different and without the agenda to convert them, and that's an important thing, I, when I, in my first 10 years of being a Christian I was evan- around um, a, a certain type of evangelicalism that uh, you know, there was kind of a running joke, if you want to get somebody from this church to leave you alone go up to the front and say the sinner's prayer and nobody will ever mess with you again it's a funny joke. <laughs> but that was kind of the mentality. We would spend a lot of time trying to reach out to unbelievers. We would invest in that like crazy. And then we'd finally get them to, to be converts. And then we wouldn't have anything to do with them because we weren't really interested in them. We just wanted to get them to agree with our ideas about God. But we bump into that everywhere. Nobody likes people to come at us with that kind of agenda. You ever been invited to lunch with somebody or to somebody's house for dinner and you think they like you and then you find out, hey, while we're here, I've got something to sell you. <laughs> and you just feel gross. Like, I thought I thought we had this thing here and you just, you, you don't care about me. You just want to sell me something. That's gross. And yet that has been kind of the dominant model of so much of evangelicalism in this country. But what does it mean to look at people not as a project or somebody that I'm going to try to convert or with the agenda, I'm going to change your mind. But what does it mean to actually enter into somebody's world and I'm just going to love you right where you're at. And I'm going to seek to open my heart to you and to see what you value and try to understand you. What does it mean to be friends with people that are different than us, to pay attention to them, and also pay attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because I have found over the last few years, as I have done this, because i got to tell you, as an opinionated preacher who has all kinds of ideas about, uh, I think if everybody believed like me, the world would be a better place. But i got to tell you, as I sit down with other people, and hear from them, I can't demonize them anymore. See, we have this tendency. I see it all over social media. It's on cable news. It's on talk radio. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. All Trump supporters are racist bigots. All Bernie Sanders supporters are uh, you know, anti-capitalist tree huggers. <laughs> It's easy to sum that up. Like, I, And I hear people say this all the time. How, how could you vote for Trump? Are you crazy? How could you vote for Clinton? I heard a quote from Bob Dylan recently. It's pretty cool that a songwriter got the Nobel Pri- Prize for Literature. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I heard a quote from Bob Dylan. Somebody said, how did you write such brilliant songs because there's nothing brilliant about the songs I wrote. If you hung out with the kind of people that I hung out with and listened to the kind of music, this would be the natural thing that you would do. Bob Dylan spent a lot of his life just running around from little town to little town finding folk musicians, blues musicians, hanging out with them listening to their music. It wasn't you know, in in his mind, it wasn't rocket science. No, this is kind of what happens when you hang around people who are different from you and listen to them and, and, and appreciate their music. You end up writing something great. See, I think the only hope for this country and certainly for the church is that in a world where everybody is shouting and nobody's listening, that we become the people who are people of our presence. Presence of God, yes, but people who give our presence to other people. I I, I refuse to cut you off based on your ideology about politics. I refuse that. I refuse to demonize you based on your opinions of God. I mean, look at the incarnation. What does it say about God? When we were mired in our sins, when we had all these screwed up ideas about God, God did not count our sins against us, but he jumped right in the middle of it. I, there was an idea that was quite often communicated to me as a young Christian, like God is so holy, he can't even look on sin. That's bullcrap. Jesus jumped right down in the middle of it. He got in trouble because he was eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. He wasn't too holy to look upon. He he got his hands dirty, folks. We got a crazy idea about the holiness of God. And it's, it's not like that. Holiness of God is demonstrated in God's extravagant love. I've found even as a pastor, the things that have made most impact in my life have been relationships. You can try to convince me all day of your point of view, and if I disagree with it, it ain't going nowhere. But when I hear your story, when I hear how you arrived at where you're at, when when I sincerely open my heart to you, And you open your heart to me, there is an exchange that takes place there. And I believe it's because the Holy Spirit's at work in that spot. And I believe, as far as the church goes right now, we need to be people on the forefront of not trying to take over society and beat people into our way of thinking and all that stuff. We need to be on the forefront of listening to people, giving our presence to people Hearing their stories. Not writing folks off. Because certainly Jesus never does that anywhere in the gospel. You realize there's a lot of people that had screwed up ideas about God. Most of the people that Jesus... I, I kind of have this theory. Now, this is a theory. This is not Bible. But this is how I envision it. Jesus... The Father, the Holy Spirit, they're hanging out in heaven. They're looking down on earth. they go, like, oh, my goodness. Look at what people think about God down there. Did you see that, Pops? Yeah, that's crazy. They got it messed up. They think I'm a monster. And Jesus is like, Dad, can I go show them what we're really like? And he steps into our world. And Jesus says this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? He's like Jesus. The Word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. See, Jesus coming into our world takes all our abstract ideas about God away. Now we are forced to see what God actually looks like as one of us. So when we start there, and start asking the question, well, how does, how does, Jesus be, how does God behave? <laughs> well, look at Jesus. How does God deal with sinners? Look at Jesus. How does God deal with arrogant Pharisees? Look at Jesus. Jesus reveals to us what the Father is like. And I think our, the question for us that I think we should wrestle with in the coming days, the coming weeks... Because I really do believe that the church has an opportunity right now to to, to lead the way on healing in this nation. But it's not going to take. It's not going to be from slacktivism where we just post memes on Facebook and just share our opinion and tweet things and feel like we've done something. It's going to come by actually being in people's lives. So the question I want all of us to ask today, where are the places that we feel the Holy Spirit may be inviting us to pursue relationship with people that are different from us? Can we ask that today? Can we ask that of the Lord? God, where, where is it that you may be inviting me? It may be a coworker that you can't stand. <laughs> it may be somebody from a different political party. It may be somebody from a different religion or different <laughs> morality. Who is the person that God might be inviting you to spend some time to, to carve some time in your schedule out to invest in, not to change their mind, but to just love them the way that Jesus has loved you? Why don't y'all stand up? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you didn't love us at a distance. That you didn't just drop a book out of heaven that told us what to do. You didn't just proclaim the good news. Jesus, you are the good news. Or that when you ate with sinners, when you touched lepers, you showed the radical, amazing, great news that you are God with us. And God, this morning we pray. Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to see the areas, the people that you may be calling us to spend time with, to listen to, to be good friends to, Lord. Help us to be open to that, Lord. Teach us your ways. Help us to see what you're doing. Lord, in a world of people shouting, in a world of people shouting, just passing on ideas and fighting over abstract ideas. God, help us be people of presence. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming today. Uh, if you would like to stay for our newcomers class or lunch, it's not really a class. I promise. Uh, if. Just feel free to hang out. We're going to turn this place into a restaurant here real quick. Uh, we'll get started in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, God bless you. Go enjoy some art today if, if you want, or the saints or whatever. Bye.